Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Welcome Jr. In, Kirk Herbstreit is on four. the phone. Ready three of the podcast. It's week America. Yeah. The Sports Podcast. Oh, it is Friday, January 21st, 2021, people. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, do I have an episode for you today. Let me tell you, all the big Torres basics are on display today. So much to get into, so much to discuss. We'll start with Jim Harbaugh. We have a new twist in the Harbaugh saga. The report, latest report, the Raiders. If they offer, Harbaugh is out. I tell you why, it is insane that Michigan has not wrapped this guy up for the future. From there... A weirdly busy day in college basketball. We talk about all the big topics, and they're all right in my wheelhouse. Kentucky, number one recruit in the country. Shaden Sharp reclassifies. He currently is enrolled. We find out that he is eligible for the next NBA draft, which I told you he would be, by the way. What does Kentucky do? Where do they go from here? Mike Woodson, my boy, picking up a big dub over Purdue. Huge win for Indiana. Not a huge win. Penny Hardaway, it is a disaster. Weird commentary after the game. Lot to talk about with Penny Hardaway, and we wrap previewing that fun Auburn-Kentucky game this weekend. So a lot of college hoops to wrap the show, but we are going to start with football. And so with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is we have a new twist in America's favorite soap opera as Jim Harbaugh turns. And I told you on Monday, I said this was going to happen. I said, look, I don't know all the details, but it seems to me that the only realistic landing spot in the NFL, we have heard for three weeks now that Jim Harbaugh is interested in the NFL, that the NFL may be interested in Jim Harbaugh, and I said all these jobs have been open for a week except for one, the Las Vegas Raiders. And I said, Michigan fans, if you you want Jim Harbaugh back, keep an eye on that Raiders job because if the Raiders don't take him, I don't see a landing spot for Jim Harbaugh. He ain't going to Jacksonville. He ain't going to Miami. Houston doesn't make sense. I don't think the Giants make sense. The Bears don't seem to be interested. And so if the Las Vegas Raiders, who lost in the playoffs last weekend, if they are not interested in Jim Harbaugh, I don't think there is a landing spot for him, and I think he's going to have to go back to Michigan whether he wants or not. So what happens this week? Mid to late Wednesday, we get a new report from Bruce Feldman, great reporter for The Athletic. He was the one that initially broke Harbaugh's interest in the NFL jobs, and Bruce Feldman puts out a new report. The new report is that Jim Harbaugh, if he is offered the Las Vegas Raiders job, will accept it, and he will leave college football to go to the NFL to be the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And when I saw that report, I had one simple thought. Michigan, what are you doing? Michigan, get your stuff together. Hail to the victors. You want to be a victor? Put your money in a pot and keep Jim Harbaugh. It makes no sense that three weeks into all of this, he is still at the negotiating table, potentially trying to leave for the NFL. And to backtrack and to get into it and to do all that good stuff, let me start by saying this. Look, I understand how negotiations work. I understand how all of this goes down. And I understand that if Jim Harbaugh has his mind set on the NFL, there is absolutely nothing Michigan can do. I understand that. If his end game, if it's more important to him to win a Super Bowl than a college football playoff, 
then I totally get that. And there's nothing Michigan can do. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of assistant pools. There's no amount of this. There's nothing you can do if you're Michigan. But at the same time, I'll be real. I don't feel like Michigan is doing everything they can to keep Jim Harbaugh either. First of all, this whole report about Jim Harbaugh being interested in NFL jobs, it broke two and a half weeks ago. It broke before any of these NFL jobs are open. And if I'm the AD, if I'm, there's no school president because our boy Schlissel got bounced. But if I'm in charge of that athletic department, if I'm in charge of that university, the first thing I do, I throw a candlelight vigil outside Jim Harbaugh's house. I set up a tent on his lawn and I do not leave until I get him set for the future. I make him sign a long-term contract and I think he's deserving of a long-term contract. And we have been through this time and time again on this podcast. But look, I understand that two, three, four years ago, he was one of the highest paid coaches in college football. I understand that he made Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, then Urban Meyer money. And I understand that he did not deliver at the Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, then Urban Meyer results. But the bottom line is he took this massive pay cut. He decided to give back to the university. He decided that he was willing to stay. Now, I will say, this time last year, I think he probably wanted to leave Michigan, didn't really have any options. But he was a good soldier. He did what was asked. He took a massive pay cut. He restructured his staff, and he delivered you a Big Ten title and uh, a college football playoff appearance and went over Ohio State. It's worth mentioning, okay? And so why do I bring it up? It is because my thought would be this. If Jim Harbaugh takes a massive pay cut, I think he was by base salary about the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th highest paid Big Ten coach in the Big Ten this year. If he takes that massive pay cut, if he does everything that you asked, and then he delivers a Big Ten championship, and now you know that he is interested in going to the NFL, you know what I do if I'm the Michigan AD? I get on the phone and I do this. I start by giving him back all the salary that he was initially getting, and I give him a little bit more. And I know some Michigan fans would disagree. I know some Michigan fans would agree. That's what I would do. Because when you get a guy that wins as much as Jim Harbaugh does, and I know he only won his first Big Ten title this year, but this is a guy that over the course of his Michigan career has won darn close to like 80% of his games, 75% of his games, I want to keep that guy. Instead, you know what Michigan is reportedly doing? You know what Michigan is reportedly doing with Jim Harbaugh coming off his biggest success of, of his career at Michigan, off of his first win over Ohio State, off of his first Big Ten title, off his first college football playoff appearance with obvious interest from the NFL? You'd think they'd offer him, just get him back to where he was, maybe give him a little bit of a raise. Instead, you know what they're doing? According to a separate report from The Athletic, so Bruce Feldman's been all over the NFL stuff, a separate report from The Athletic says this, that they're still offering Harbaugh an incentive-based contract. Here is the report verbatim from The Athletic. It says, those contract talks have included Michigan discussing an incentive-based deal that, if Harbaugh has a similar year to the one he just finished, would get his future annual salary higher than $8 million number that he originally had. And if he wins a national title, those incentives could hike to eight figures, which is $10 million plus dollars. Now listen, I don't know what you guys and girls make. I don't know what your salary is. It's not my business. $10 million sounds great to all of us. An incentive-based deal that could get us to $8 million would sound great to just about anybody that's not a high-paid college football coach. But here is why I have a problem with that offer from Michigan, and I'm not even Jim Harbaugh. It's because the landscape has changed, the game has changed, and that $8 million that he was making a few years ago, it's not even absurd by modern college football standards. What happened this offseason, guys and girls? What have I been talking about for the last, I don't know, two, two and a half, three months? It's how crazy this coaching carousel got. And yes, $8 million was insane a few years ago when, when it was Saban, Dabo, Urban money. But it ain't that way anymore. Mel Tucker, who is a good coach, who, to his credit, Mel Tucker, two wins against Jim Harbaugh and two appearances. Mel Tucker is 18-14 and 14 overall as a college head coach. 18-14 and 14 as a college head coach, 13-7 and seven 
as the head coach at Michigan State. Mel Tucker is set to make $9.5 million per year next year. James Franklin, who's not even good, coming off a 7-6 and six season, about to make 7-5. And so you're now going to give Harbaugh an incentive-based deal that will pay him $8 million if he has a season like this year and $10 million if he wins a national championship? Are you out of your mind? No, it should be the exact opposite. It should start at $8 million. It should be incentive. It should start at $8 million. If he does nothing other than show up and put on his little khakis and wear his little horn rim glasses, that's where $8 million should start because that's the going price for a good college football coach in the modern era. And it's no disrespect to Mel Tucker, and it's no disrespect to James Franklin. It's no disrespect to Jimbo Fisher, and it's no disrespect to Brian Kelly, who's getting nine, nine and a half at LSU. But Jim Harbaugh just made the college football playoff. How many playoff appearances does Mel Tucker have? How many playoff appearances does Jim Harbaugh have? How many playoff wins does Brian Kelly have? Those guys are all making nine, nine and a half, eight and a half, eight, and you're going to give Harbaugh an incentive-based deal? What are you doing? And here's the thing. First of all, a couple of things. One, I talk about it all the time. Harbaugh, for all his weirdness, all his bizarreness, you might like him, you might not like him, the guy wins games. And that's the first part that seems so crazy to me. It's one thing, I understand last year, pandemic, no fans, coming off a 2-4 and four season, you cut his pay, okay? And I understand if he went 6-6 six and six this year, you'd kind of sit there and say, okay, whatever, we can't give you a pay bump, we got to give you the incentive-based contract. But he is coming off a 12-2 and two year, in which he beat Ohio State, in which he made the college football playoff, in which he won the Big Ten Championship. And this is a guy, I think it's so easy to forget, this is a guy that has won so big at Michigan, and Michigan's one of these jobs that in the modern era of college, it's not easy to win. It's not easy to win, and this is not a criticism of Michigan. Michigan fans listening, I hope you understand, this is not me tearing down your school, but it's not an easy place to win. I mean, how many times do we have to go through this? Harbaugh arrives. Here were the three seasons before Jim Harbaugh got there under Brady Hoke. Four seasons under Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke goes 11-2, 8-5, 7-6, So every year his numbers go down. On top of that, if you just go through, let me go through, because Harbaugh's been at Michigan for seven years, okay? So this is a perfect sample size. Harbaugh's been at Michigan for seven years. You know how many years Brady Hoke was at Michigan? Four. You know how many years Rich Rodriguez was at Michigan? Three. So Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, seven combined seasons. Harbaugh, seven combined seasons, okay? Harbaugh has four 10-win seasons over that stretch, five nine-win seasons, and I don't even think you can include last year because it was COVID. They only played six games. So in six full seasons, he has five nine-win seasons and and four 10-win seasons and one 12-win season, by the way. In the years, in the seven years before Jim Harbaugh got there, know how many nine-win seasons they had? He's had five. He's had five. You know how many they had? One. You know how many 10-win seasons they had? One. You know how many 11-win seasons they had? One. So in the seven years before he got there, they had one 11-win season, one 10-win season, one 9-win season. He's had five 9-win seasons. And so now you're Michigan, and you're playing Russian roulette, and we're going to give him this incentive. What are you doing? What are you doing? And let me take it a step further. This is First of all, I don't think Michigan's as good of a job as people think it is. I don't know who's taking this job. If, if Jim Harbaugh leaves... And that market is open. I don't know who's taking the Michigan job. If you don't get Luke Fickle, and I don't think Luke Fickle and Ohio State got, who are you going to get? And it's January. It's the end of January now. And so listen, I could belabor the point. I could go on and on and on. But what are you doing, Michigan? This is a guy that in seven seasons, six full seasons, has five nine-win seasons, four ten-win seasons, a 12-win season, a win over Ohio State, college football playoff appearance this year. I'm not saying it's been perfect. I'm not saying he's totally delivered on everything that he said he was going to. But he is also a lot better than what you had before. On top of that, I don't even know all the economics. But I can tell you, the the money that's coming in, I know from people that live in Michigan. I know people close to that athletic department. The money's rolling in. Ticket sales are up. Donations are up. They signed that massive deal with Jordan Brand. I could go on and on. 
But the point I'm trying to make, Michigan's playing some real Russian roulette here. And again, I understand if Jim Harbaugh just says flat out, I am going to wait until I hear everything that the Las Vegas Raiders have. And to me, it's more important to win an NFL Super Bowl championship than it is a college football playoff appearance. But if you're Michigan, I just think you're flying way too close to the sun. You have a chance to lock this guy up. Whatever he wants, you give it to him. You start with an $8 million base salary, and then you go from there because that's the going rate for a good coach now. You give him the assistant pool that you want. I've heard there's some issues with admissions and transfers and, you know, can we get guys into school that we want to get into school? Listen, let, let Jim Harbaugh work in admissions, rubber stamp it. So I could go on and on, but we got a lot of college hoops to get to. But I'm just saying, man, oh, man, this is such a weird deal. If you're Michigan, I just think you're playing too much Russian roulette. Go lock this guy in now. Because if you don't, good luck finding a good coach. And Michigan's a good brand. But good luck finding a quality coach in late January. Oh, by the way, after USC hit a home run, after LSU hit a home run, after Notre Dame's happy, after Oklahoma's happy with their hire, after Miami's happy with their hire, good luck trying to find a guy in the middle of January. Michigan, go get this taken care of. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to talk college hoops. It was a bizarrely, like, very busy day in college hoops. I told you, Shaden Sharp, the number one high school player in America, he is at Kentucky right now. He was the number one player. He reclassified. He ends up at Kentucky. We find out that he is eligible for the NBA draft like I told you he would be. So we talk about that. We talk about my boy Mike Effin Woodson getting his big dub over Purdue. We talk about Penny Hardaway. And we talk a little bit about that Kentucky-Auburn game this weekend. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, want to welcome back our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Pro football playoffs are here. DraftKings Sportsbook has an incredible offer for first-time users. If you're a first-time user, if you're in a state with legal sports gambling, here's what DraftKings can do for you. Bet $5 on any football playoff game this weekend. Money line bet. All you got to do is pick a winner. You like Green Bay against San Francisco? Take Green Bay. You like Tampa against LA? Put five bucks on Tom Brady and the Rams. Bet $5 on the money line. If your team wins, you get $280 in free bets, courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best deal going. Here's how you take advantage. First of all, click the link in the show description and sign up now for a new DraftKings Sportsbook account and make your first deposit. Bet $5 on any team. You like Tom Brady and the Bucs? You like Tom Brady in Tampa? Bet Tom Brady in Tampa. You like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? Bet Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. $5, and if your team wins, you get an automatic $280 in free bets, courtesy of the DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Again, it's the best offer in sports betting going, so act now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789, again in Tennessee, must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, New York, Louisiana only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Again, football, playoffs, this weekend. Great deal. First-time users for DraftKings. Bet $5 on any team this weekend. Money line bet, if that team wins, 280 in free bets. So you like Green Bay, you bet Green Bay. $5, 280 if Aaron Rodgers throws the ball all over the San Francisco defense. Uh, you like Tom Brady, you like Tampa, you take Tampa. You like whoever you like. $5 money line bet, 280 in free bets, courtesy of our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Link is in the show description. Link is available at AaronTorresOnline.com. Link is available if you DM me as well. Just all you got to do is hit me up, and I will get you that link. With that said... 
Let's switch gears. Let's talk a little college hoops because it's funny, right? Um, you know, it's been a quiet couple days in college hoops since I last recorded on Tuesday night, the night that Duke lost, the night that North Carolina lost, the night that, that Texas lost. Talked a little bit about all those games on Wednesday's episode, and today's episode was supposed to be a nice, easy breezy. Here's what happened since we last talked. Let's preview a fun weekend ahead headlined by Kentucky Auburn. But then, just as I'm getting set to record, what happens from there? Oh, I don't know. A little bit of a uh, spicy meatball of a topic falls from the heavens. As Shaden Sharp, who was the number one high school player in America, Committed to Kentucky, class of 2022. He recently enrolled early as a reclassification candidate. Well, as it turns out, we find out that he is actually eligible for the 2022 NBA draft, something that everybody said wasn't possible, although I told you that it was. I talked about it before. We'll get into me in a minute. But we find out that the number one high school recruit in the last year's class, he is enrolled for this spring, has not played a minute yet. But we find out that he is now eligible for the 2022 NBA draft, which means that John Calipari in Kentucky, in the middle of a fascinating dream season, has a really interesting choice to make. Do I potentially play a top five pick? Because if Shaden Sharp, whenever he goes into the draft, he is a top five pick, top 10 pick at worst. Do I play a top five pick and potentially ruin the chemistry of the team that I currently have, a team that Aaron Torres, I believe, is good enough to win a national championship? Or... Do I let him sit on the bench? Do I let him practice? Do I not play him and risk losing him at all? And so let's get into it. Let's break it down. And let's go back to this whole process of how it happened because I hate to say it. This isn't a segment of where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, but I was right on this one. Because if you remember, Shaden Sharp commits in the fall. He is the number one high school player in the current senior class, high school class of 2022. And at some point in the fall, we find out that he has decided to reclassify and enroll for the spring semester at Kentucky. At the time, I said, be careful, Kentucky fans, because I believe that Shaden Sharp, if he decides to reclassify and enroll for the spring, will be eligible for the 2022 NBA draft. And if he's eligible for the 2022 NBA draft, he will probably end up being a top five pick. When that happened, I had a bunch of people in the media, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, that's not true. He's not a member. He's, he will not be eligible for the 2022 NBA draft. And the reason that people said he would not be eligible for the 2022 NBA draft is pretty straightforward. I've told you this a million times, but to be eligible for the NBA draft, you have to meet two qualifications. You must be 19 years old in the year that the draft takes place. So in this case, 2022 NBA draft, you have to be born sometime no later than the end of 20 of 2003, which means that you will turn 19 in this calendar year. That's one. And then two, you have to be a year removed from high school. And so when everybody said, oh, he's not going to be eligible, it's because they were under the assumption that he was a high school graduate of 2022, even though he enrolled early. I said, I'm not sure about that. I don't believe that. I am not positive. My understanding is that he will technically be eligible for the NBA draft. Well, what happens? As I said, ESPN report on two, on Thursday, everything I said all along was right. I told you he'd be eligible for this year's draft. And now John Calipari's got a decision to make. And so let's get into all of the dynamics of it, what it means, what could happen, what I would do, and then what I ultimately believe John Calipari would do. And even before we get into it, I do think it's worth mentioning one thing. I don't think there is any conf- you know, definitive set-in-stone plan for Shaden Sharp. In other words, I don't think there is a plan where we are definitively going to the draft, zero doubt about it, whether we play one minute, whether we, we're the end, we end up being the leading scorer, whether we lead to Kentucky to a national championship or not. I don't believe they have definitively decided that they're going, but I don't definitively believe that they have decided that no matter what happens, we're staying for the 2022-2023 season, even though, of course, the guy that kind of runs his recruitment, the guy, you know, kind of one of his uh, guys in his camp says, oh, we've always been planning on being here next year. Yeah, baloney. And so what I would say if you're a Kentucky fan, before we get into what could happen, what should happen, what will happen, I think we now have to live in the reality that it is more likely than not that Shaden Sharp is not a member of the 2022-2023 Kentucky Wildcats. Not saying that he can't stay. Not saying that he won't stay. But what I am saying is at this point, you should not expect 
to see him in a uniform next year, which sets up the interesting paradigm of what happens this year. So what happens this year? This kid has been enrolled for about two or three weeks, and for people who don't know the background, I think most of you probably do, John Calipari has been pretty straightforward about this. John Calipari has never ruled out the idea that this kid could play, but John Calipari has also said point blank, we are not going to put him out there before he is ready to play. And so now, now that we definitively know that he is eligible for the NBA draft, and first of all, I believe that Kentucky knew about this before the report broke on Thursday. I saw my buddy Kyle Tucker. He's got me blocked on Twitter, but I still saw your tweet, Kyle Tucker. I still saw your tweet. He says that Calipari and and Kentucky knew about this prior to Thursday. I tend to believe that my old buddy Kyle Tucker is right on that. But what I do think it sets up is an interesting paradigm, right? Because again, If you play him, it could hurt chemistry. If you don't play him, you could let a top five pick walk out, top 10 pick walk out without playing at all. So here is all the scenarios that could happen. First of all, let's let's be glasses half full for just one half second. I'm a glasses half full guy. Let's be glasses half full. The first scenario is you end up deciding to play him even though Calipari to this point has not played him. And I think the first scenario is he helps your team. He's really good. He's a potential top five pick. And you go ahead and add him to a lineup that is already ranked number 12 in the country that, as I record here on Thursday night, is currently sitting at 15-3 and overall. And there is the possibility that that team that's 15-3 and overall, ranked number 12 in the country, all of a sudden goes from really, really, really good, one of the top, I would say, five, six, seven, eight teams in the country, to a number one seed and maybe the best team in college basketball. You add Shaden Sharp to this core on paper, on paper, this looks like a team that was, that's probably the best team in the country because they're already, I believe, at, at worst top 10, probably top 5, top 6, top 7, somewhere maybe right behind that Arizona, like, like that tier, maybe just a shade behind them. But you had Shaden Sharp, you had a top 5 pick. On paper, that's a really good team, and on paper, it elevates your program. Here's the problem, and forgive me for using the ultimate corny cliche, but games aren't played on paper. And why I would be worried to play him is I believe that you could completely mess up the chemistry of this team. And I know what a lot of you Kentucky fans are thinking. Who cares? He's a top five pick. If we can play him, you got to play him. Well, you know who else wants to play in the NBA besides Shaden Sharp? Your starting point guard, Severe Wheeler. And you know who else wants to play in the NBA besides Severe Wheeler? Your starting shooting guard, your starting off guard, whatever you want to call him, combo guard, Ty Ty Washington. And you know who else wants to play in the NBA? Kellen Grady, graduate transfer. And Jacob Toppin. And Keon Brooks. And I could go on every single, every single player wants to play on that roster. And right now, if you haven't watched Kentucky, I'm just going to tell you. All the pieces fit together perfectly. You got two really good guards in the starting lineup in Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington that play well off each other. Either could play point guard. You have a shooting guard named Kellen Grady who is shooting 43% from three and averaging 12 points per game. You have a a kind of a big combo hybrid forward in either Keon Brooks or Jacob Toppin. You got big Oscar down low, a first-team Torres Media All-American. We'll get into our All-American list in a minute. And so if you play him, it throws off the dynamic of everybody because the lineup, the rotation is almost perfect as we speak. They have three really good guards in the starting lineup, a fourth off the bench with Davion Mintz. The front court is figured out. And if you play this kid, it completely changes the dynamic of everything. So ironically, you know what this actually reminds me of? Do you remember over the course of the summer when Kofi Coburn, another first team Torres All-American, by the way, when Kofi Coburn entered the transfer portal after he withdrew from the draft at Illinois? And there was real talk that for about two weeks, a week and a half, three weeks, whatever it was, I can't remember, that Kofi Coburn was in fact going to transfer to Kentucky. And the reports were at the time that the staff and the program was divided because the staff and the program basically sat back and said, wait a second now, we know that this guy absolutely on paper makes our roster better, just like I said with Shaden Sharp. But if you bring him in, it completely changes the roles of every single person, all the guys that have been here since June. And so I kind of think it's the same thing with Shaden Sharp. Kentucky in the spring chose not to bring in Kofi Coburn because they basically said, look, we're backing up. We think he's really good, but we think he's going to mess with the chemistry. And I think Shaden Sharp could do that, not because he's a bad kid, not because the other guys don't like him, 
but because basketball is a team sport and all the puzzle pieces have to fit. And right now, those puzzle pieces fit perfectly at Kentucky. And if you do decide to play this guy, then all of a sudden, those puzzle pieces don't fit as easily as they do now because, again, all these guys have been practicing together since June. And so to me, that is where it becomes fascinating. Do you play him? It certainly on paper would elevate your team, but it also could hurt the chemistry. I think that's also why if I was John Calipari, I would just consider not playing him. Not because he's a bad kid. Not because the other guys don't like him. And By the way, this is all assuming there's no injury, right? If two of their starting guards go down and you need a guy, yeah, it's good to have a top five pick potentially on your bench ready to go. But at the same time, I think you don't, if, if it was me, I would not play him for two definitive reasons. One, because it absolutely messes up the chemistry of your team. I know you can sit there and say, well, these guys are all adults and they have to learn and fight for their spot. I'm just telling you, I've been watching basketball a long time. And I have seen how one little thing can mess up chemistry for a team, a program that really has great chemistry and Kentucky has great chemistry right now. I think there's another possibility that you also have to consider as well in this unique situation. What happens if you play him? There's always the possibility that it hurts the team. But what if he isn't ready? And what if he just isn't good? And then what happens then? Because now, you talk about a, a, you know, a, a, a Pandora's box that you could potentially open. Think about everything that could happen if you play him and he's not ready. One, it messes up the chemistry. Two, it could hurt his draft stock which could hurt you with future picks. Shaden Sharp comes in as a top five pick. He plays, he's not ready, he declares, he goes, he's a second round pick. Oh no, what just happened? And so in some ways you can't play him or you shouldn't play him to protect this kid in his own right. I'm telling you, if this kid declares, he's gonna be a top 10 pick just based on potential alone. For people who've never seen him play, 6'5", 6'6", guard, super athletic. I mean, I'm talking super, like you watch film of him and you're like, oh my God, did he really just do that? And so if you play him, you can mess up chemistry, but you could mess up his draft stock as well. And there's a possibility that you mess up this year and you also mess up next year by not bringing him back. And then, oh, by the way, there's the worst case scenario where you mess him up so bad that he transfers because, again, we live in the one-time transfer world where he comes in, he plays at Kentucky, it's a disaster, and he leaves. I don't think that particular scenario is really in play, but you never know. And so to me, you just talk about a darn near impossible situation for Kentucky. And by the way, Kentucky had a sort of similar situation a few years ago. They brought in a mid-year enrollee named Hamadou Diallo, but even that one was different. And the reason it was different was pretty straightforward. First of all, when Hamadou Diallo enrolled, everybody knew he was eligible for the next NBA draft. He was a year removed from high school. He was doing a postgraduate year. So everybody knew he was eligible. And so Kentucky came in knowing the possibility that there was a 100% possibility that he could declare and that he would probably go through the process. Difference with Shaden Sharp, I don't believe, you know, whether, whatever. The point is, they knew coming in that he was definitively going to, that he could definitively declare and definitively could, but the other major difference was Hamadou Diallo was a major project, and I remember I didn't even have a podcast at the time saying, this kid is way far from being ready to be an NBA player, and so that was the fundamental difference with the Hamadou Diallo situation. The fundamental difference is that Hamadou Diallo wasn't going to be a top 10 pick, and this kid is going to be a top 10 pick, and so again, I think it's a really tough spot for Calipari. You play him, you mess up this year's team, you could potentially mess up this kid. He could play well, but the team tanks. He could play well, but other guys' draft stock tanks. And so I think it's a very, very, very you know peculiar situation. The one thing I would say, now that we know that he's eligible, let me just put it out there. I don't believe, unless he plays and it's a complete disaster, that if he declares he's coming back, because I, I saw a little bit of this, well, you know, let him test the No, if he tests the waters, he's going to test off the charts, he's going to be great at all these combines and events, and somebody's going to take him early. And so what I said that I would do, I just told you. If it was me, what I would do, I wouldn't play him. I wouldn't play him unless there was an injury, or unless the team needed a spark, or unless everybody falls off, or whatever. But right now you're playing really well. Right now you have... Um, you know, a team that I believe is good enough to win a national championship. And if you lose this guy without him ever playing a minute, you lose him without ever playing a minute. But I think the risk of playing him, hurting his draft stock and hurting your team, I, I, to me, I wouldn't. Now, what do I think Calipari's going to do? 
Calipari's already been hinting since the kid got to campus that there was a chance he could play this year. Calipari has said many, 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 many times that if, if he's ready, we're going to put him in. And so I think Calipari's going to play him because I think Calipari's known all along I could lose this kid by the end of this year and I might have no choice but to play him. So that is what I would do. I would pump the brakes. I'd say, look, my man, if you leave, you leave. I love you. We can't mess with what we got right now. We got a good thing going. We want you back. If you leave, you got to leave. That's what I would do. Calipari, I think he's going to play him. It'll be fascinating to watch. I know that, listen, and let me, let me wrap by saying this. A couple things. One, Kentucky, first of all, fans, if you lose them, it's not the end of the program, okay? Uh, my buddy Matt Jones, I thought he brought up a great point. Kentucky is really good this year. They don't have a lot of clear-cut NBA draft guys. And so there are a lot of guys that can come back. If this kid leaves, it's not the end of the world. The program will go on. You still have a top-five class coming in. Um, and, oh, by the way, you're going to have some returnees that are really, really good as well. That's one. Two, what I would also say is, is that, you know, when it comes to this kid, there is the possibility that he comes back. Now, they're going to say all the right things, his quote-unquote camp, his parents, whoever you can get a hold of, whoever these reporters can get a hold of, they're going to say the right thing. And there is the possibility that the kid comes back, whether he plays this year or not. I wouldn't play him. I think Calipari does, but it is going to be fascinating to watch going forward. With that said, let's switch gears, and let's talk about what actually happened on the court on Thursday night in college basketball. Because it's funny, right? And, and I've said this many times, but I spend a lot. I, I'm not bragging. I'm not saying it whatever, because here's the bottom line. You guys all work hard. You guys and girls all work very hard at what you do. I'm not saying that I work any less or more hard than anybody else. But I spend all this time thinking about what am I going to talk about? Where am I going? What are the stories going to be? And then at about 7 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, January 20th, we got two mega stories in college basketball, and if you were expecting the 7 p.m. window on Thursday, January 20th to provide us with two of the best stories of the college basketball season, well, shout out to you. You should go down to your local gas station, buy yourself a Powerball ticket, because you can see into the future, because who had Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, as one of the biggest college basketball windows that we've seen all year, only that's exactly what happened. Two major stories, let's talk about them, and as I said, I'm a glasses half full guy, and so because of it, we're going to start with the positive. And because we are starting with the positive, let me ask you this, did you see what my boy Mike Effin Woodson did? That is right, Indiana Hoosiers at home against their biggest rival, Purdue. Purdue coming off that major, marquee, huge win at Illinois on Monday afternoon, Martin Luther King Day afternoon, they come into Assembly Hall. They come into Assembly Hall with a nine-game winning streak. They come in as a team that we think is good enough to make a Final Four and win a national championship potentially, and instead what happens? My boy Mike Effin Woodson happened. My boy Rob Finnessy happened. My boy Xavier Johnson happened. Final score, 68-65, to Indiana beats Purdue, snaps a nine-game losing streak to Purdue, Indiana improves to 14-4 overall. How about my boy Mike Woodson? That's right, Mike effing Woodson, baby, let's talk about this. First of all, I'll say this about Indiana. So obviously, look, when Mike Woodson was hired, I drew the line in the sand. At first, I didn't like it. Then... As the summer went on, as he convinced Trace Jackson Davis to return, as he basically crushed the transfer portal, brought in Xavier Johnson, brought in Miller Cop, signed Tamar Bates, who's obviously not a transfer portal guy, but he was a five-star player coming out of high school, I switched, I, I switched allegiance on Mike Woodson. Didn't like the hire, then loved the hire, and so because of it, I only bring it up to say, I've been watching Indiana very closely this year. And even though they came into Thursday at 13-4 and four overall, what I can definitively tell you is that they are probably a little bit better than their record, okay? So as I said, came into Thursday 13-4 and four overall. But again, I've watched most of their marquee games, and what I would say is they're a pretty good basketball team. You go back and look at their losses. First of all, early in the season, first road game of the year, they lose at Syracuse. Not great, but it's worth noting. They did lose in double overtime in a game that they easily could have won in their first true road game. 
From there, they play Wisconsin, who is currently atop the Big, Big Ten standings as I record here. They were up 22 points in the first half, end up losing that game. And they lost last week at Iowa in a game that they led by seven at halftime. And so I bring it up because they were 13-4 and four coming into Thursday night. But three of the four losses were totally explainable. And even the fourth loss, it was to Penn State by three on the road. Penn State's not terrible. First-year head coach, Micah Shrewsbury, they play really hard. And so I've actually thought that Indiana's probably a little bit better than their record. But we were still looking for that one big, marquee, major win that made you say, Mike Effin Woodson and the boys have arrived. They are here. They are ready to compete for their first NCAA tournament berth in forever. And that's exactly what happened on Thursday night. As this was the biggest win, I can't even remember the last time that Indiana won a game this big, this meaningful, with fans in the stands, on the road, at home. I know they had a couple nice wins last year, kind of in the Archie Miller era, and it's no disrespect to Archie. You guys know I like Archie. But it's one thing to win in an empty arena or in a road venue or in this or in that. It's another thing to beat a top five Purdue team at home, snap a nine-game losing streak to your biggest rival or one of your biggest rivals. I don't know who Indiana's biggest rival is. Let's assume it is. And it's another thing to do it at home against a top five Purdue team, which is exactly what Indiana did on Thursday night. What I think is especially important is, and this is really important if you're an Indiana fan or if you're somebody who has at least followed Indiana, it's not as though everything went right, right? Because like sometimes a team wins a game and you just know it's their night. Like every bounce goes their way, every break goes their way. That's not what happened at all. When you look at this game for Indiana, it was bad early. It was really bad early in this game against Purdue where you thought they might get blown out of the gym. I watched this game from start to finish. This was a game where they fell down. 5 nothing early, and then it was 7-1, and then it was 12-6, and then it was 16-8 about midway through the first half, and you're sitting there and saying, this is the Indiana team that we've seen for years. Big game, marquee, at-home, rival, not going to get this W. And instead, what happens? They just kind of slowly chip away, slowly chip away, slowly chip away, confident, 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 don't let the moment get to them, and they slowly chip away to the point that they're, they're up at the half. Now, part of that was Rob Finnessy. I tweeted it out. Rob Finnessy basically had the MJ against uh, Portland Trail Blazers just shrugging his shoulders. Rob Finnessy had maybe the best game of his life. But it's worth noting that you fall down early, and it's not like it got better late throughout the game. Trace Jackson Davis, who I believe is probably, he's been one of the top 15 players in college basketball this year. Now, we did our Torres Media All-American first and second team on Thursday morning. You can go check that out at AaronTorresOnline.com. Trace Jackson Davis did not make the first or second team. He would have made a third team if there had been one. If there had been one. But Trace Jackson Davis only played 11 minutes. He only had four points. He only had one rebound. This from a guy that is essentially, I believe, an All-American. Certainly an All-Big Ten first-team player. And that is what makes this Indiana win so special. Is that you fall behind early. Your best player is essentially out for the entire game. And you still figure out a way to win as other guys step up. I just mentioned it. Rob Finnessy, 17 first half points when his team absolutely needed him. 20 points for the game. Xavier Johnson, who has been very criticized by the Indiana fan base. And I think it's justified, Indiana fans. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just stating facts. Xavier Johnson has been criticized. He has 18 points in a win. And so when I look at this win, you talk about a marquee mega win from my boy Mike Woodson. Oh, it's there, baby. And what I would say is this. Listen, I'm not going to sit here, and it's, it's January 20th, January 21st when you guys are listening. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, oh, my God, Indiana basketball has changed forever. It's 1987, and Bob Knight and Steve Alford are there all over again. It's 1980, and Bob Knight and Mike Woodson and Isaiah Thomas are there all over again. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is... Indiana has been competing really, really, really hard. I think it even goes back to last year. Like, we can crush Archie Miller, and I like Arch, like I said. I, I don't think that he should have been brought back. I understand why they moved on. They competed really hard last year, and then this year, as far as this season is concerned, they have basically taken care of business, but they can't get over the hump. 
and so I don't want to get over, I don't want to go too crazy. I don't want to pretend like this is the game that changes Indiana basketball forever. But there is a certain group from a certain generation that does remember Indiana being good. And as crazy as it sounds, I'm in my mid-30s. I barely remember Indiana being good. And so I'm not going to say that this is the game and this is the moment and this is that. What I will say, though, is pretty simple. Is that this is the type of win that you need. And this is the type of win that Indiana right now has the chance to build on. Now, will they? I don't know. We're going to find out. It's up to Indiana. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not up to... It's up to Indiana, but they actually have a very manageable schedule. They're currently 12-0 at home. Well, guess what? Their next two games are at home, and their next two games are winnable. They play Michigan on Sunday. Michigan's not very good right now. Not saying Juwan Howard can't figure it out. Just saying that Michigan isn't very good right now. Then they play Penn State at home next Wednesday. Then they play at Maryland, Illinois at home, Northwestern on the road. And so I bring it up because Indiana, as I speak, with the win on Thursday night against Purdue, 14-4, okay? 14-4, and four, and on top of being 14-4, and four, their next five games are all very winnable. Three at home, where Indiana is currently 12-0, two games on the road at Maryland, which is really struggling. Maryland right now is 9-9 overall, 1-6 in the Big Ten. Northwestern is 9-7, 2-5 in the Big Ten. And so you get through that stretch, say, 4-1, all of a sudden, you're talking about an 18-5 and five team going into February, the middle of February, and that's where it gets interesting. So listen, I'm not going to oversell my boy Mike Woodson. Get your Mike Woodson tea at AaronTorresOnline.com, by the way. I'm not going to oversell my boy Mike Woodson, but what I am going to say is this is the win that Indiana fans have been waiting for. I'm happy for you guys, Indiana fans. I don't care if that makes me uncool. You guys have waited a long time to celebrate like he did tonight. I hope you guys had a blast on Thursday night. I hope the head hurts on Friday. I hope Torres yelling into your speakers Friday morning is hurting your eardrums because this was a great, great, great win. Unfortunately, there's something else that we got to talk about here, and it's interesting, right? I, I told you a minute ago, I said there were two great stories that came out of college basketball on Thursday night. The first one was a positive. My boy Mike effing Woodson, Got that signature dub, baby. Unfortunately, there was a story that was a tad bit negative as well. And you know where I'm going with this. I'm going down to FedEx Forum, beautiful Memphis, Tennessee. Only been in Memphis once. It seemed like a very nice place, though. Beautiful Memphis, Tennessee, where the Memphis Tigers came into a game against SMU at 9-7 and overall. Memphis is struggling. Memphis has a chance for a big win at home against an SMU team that is one of the few opportunities in a bad AAC this year to pick up a signature win. Instead, the exact opposite happens. Memphis falls 70-62 to in a game that frankly wasn't as close as that final score indicated. Memphis falls to 9-8 and overall. Memphis has, or excuse me, Penny Hardaway has a meltdown in the postgame press conference, when we'll get it, which we'll get into in a minute. But let me just say this. It is now January 1st, 2022. And here's the bottom line. Memphis is 9-8. and eight. Memphis has essentially one signature win on their resume. And that is against Alabama a few weeks ago. And even Alabama isn't that good. And we are now in mid to late January. Still almost two full, full months from Selection Sunday. And Memphis essentially needs to win. The, the only way they're getting into the NCAA tournament is by winning the AAC tournament. That is where we are today as Memphis, 9-8, and eight, and essentially has to win their conference tournament to get into the NCAA tournament. And it's interesting to even go back like in the bigger picture. You know, I'll say this, is that on, I guess it would have been what, uh, Thursday morning, I actually did a radio interview in Memphis, Tennessee, good buddy of mine, Greg Gaston, who hosts a morning radio show down there. And I bring it up because I got asked during that interview, I said, you know, they, they said to me, they said, well, Torres, you know, we're nine and seven coming into this one. But what if we start winning and how many games? And I said, I, I cut them off. I said, look, I'm not saying that you can't run the table. But what I am saying is it's the middle of January and we have no point of reference to make us believe that you are actually going to do it. If you look at Memphis's resume, it's one thing to be 9-7 and seven in late January, mid to late January. It's another thing to be 9-7 and seven 
with the wins and losses that this specific Memphis team has. This is not a criticism of Penny Hardaway. This is not a criticism of Memphis. But when you have the number one ranked recruiting class in your program, when you have multiple players that are believed to be NBA draft picks, you have to be nine and seven. You have to be better than nine and seven against this specific schedule. Here are who some of the losses that Memphis has taken are to. One, first loss of the year, Iowa State forgivable. Iowa State's actually pretty good this year. And if that was it, I wouldn't crush them. But then you lose at Georgia. I'm just telling you right now, Georgia's the worst team in the SEC. Then you lose at Ole Miss. I don't know if Ole Miss is the worst team in the SEC, but they're bottom three, bottom four. You lose to Murray State at home. You lose to Tulane. You lose to Central Florida, and then you lose to East Carolina last weekend. And so in terms of where this Memphis season is, it is completely off the rails. It is completely unacceptable for a program that enrolled two of the top five recruits in the class of 2021, Amani Bates and Jalen Duran and a team that has multiple other players that are either experienced college players or, exper- or or players that many believe to have NBA futures. Earl Timberlake is a potential first-round NBA draft pick. Lester Quinones has played college basketball. Tyler Harris has played college basketball. Alex Lomax has played college basketball. Instead, they are 9-8 and eight right now this point in the season. And by now, I'm sure many of you saw the headline from over the course of this week, which was that one of their assistant coaches, you may be familiar with his name, Rasheed Wallace elected to leave the Memphis basketball program this year. He's on administrative leave, and he's a consultant, and he's not with the team anymore. But why I bring it up is this. is because we are now in year four of the Penny Hardaway year, and year one, he had Tubby Smith's players made the NIT. Year two, had all his players would have missed the NCAA tournament, but it was canceled because of COVID. Last year, you make the NIT. I've said it many times. I've said it many times. By the end of the year, they were one of the best teams in college basketball, the one of the 68 best teams in college basketball, but they didn't have the resume from early in the season. It is a five-month sport. It is not a three-, four-week sport heading into March. Well, this was the year. There were no excuses. We talked about it all offseason long. Go back and listen to the episodes when Imani Bates committed. Go back and listen to the episodes when Jalen Duran committed. I said this was the year. There's no excuses. So instead, what happens? Memphis falls to 9-8 and eight on Thursday night, and Penny Hardaway goes to the podium and is asked about what is going on with the program. And here are his responses to what he said. This is his response to what happened on Thursday night. He was asked if he believes that he could get the job done. And he mentions, I wish I could play the audio, but unfortunately I don't have the technology here in the Torres uh, Media Studios uh, here in California, he's asked if he if he's lost the job that he if he's lost faith that he can get the job done. And he said, "I don't have my full roster." And then he said, and this is an exact quote: "This media gets effed up sometimes when it comes to me. Stop asking me stupid effing questions." To which I say, Penny Hardaway, what are you doing? Why are you blaming the media? Why are you blaming this? Why are you blaming that? Why are you saying it's everybody? I don't have my full roster. Well, guess who else doesn't have their full roster? Anyone this time of year. Will Wade was down his top three players at Alabama on Wednesday night. Calipari had to play multiple games without severe Wheeler. I could go on and on and on down the list. The point I'm trying to make is this. Being 9-8 and eight with a top 15 team in the country coming into the season at this point in the year, in year four, when you have yet to play in an NCAA tournament game, it's not the media's fault. It's not people doubting you. It's not people being effed up as it pertains to you. It flat out falls on you. And here's the crazy thing about Penny Hardaway. I looked it up prior to starting this show. You know, Record-wise, win-loss-wise, he's not as bad as you think that he is. He's not as bad as you think that he is, as crazy as it sounds. His win-loss record as a head coach, believe it or not, the guy is 72-38. and That's not great. That's about a 64% win percentage. But it's not as bad as you think. 
The problem is he's brought in two top-ranked recruiting classes. He's brought in a bunch of high-profile players and now assistant coaches. He has asked for the smoke. He said prior to the 2020 season, I believe we will win a national championship. And he hasn't delivered. He's claimed that his program is on the level of Duke and Kentucky and, you know, Tennessee, who there was a weird situation where they didn't play Tennessee this year and you know Rick Barnes was mad. And every step of the way, it's somebody else's fault. It's Rick Barnes's fault. It's John, I don't know about John Calipari. I'm not saying he's ever accused John Calipari of anything. It's the media's fault. It's the assistant coach's fault. It's the player's fault. It's bad chemistry. It's guys don't want, the veterans don't want to embrace the younger guys. At what point does it fall on Penny Hardaway? Because he's 9-8 and eight with a team that is good enough to beat SMU at home if you're as good as you say you are. And he's out of excuses. And the sad thing is, this is all stuff that we talked about in the preseason. When you go, first of all, I don't think Penny Hardaway, I still don't think he's a bad coach. What I don't think he understands, and, and not only do I not think he's a bad coach, let me even take it a different direction. I think in many ways, what he's doing is commendable. Like Amani Bates, I'm not trying to be a jerk, Amani Bates was kind of lost. He was out of options. And Penny says, come here, work under me. We're going to get better together. Here's the thing, though. Your job is to win games at Memphis. And so you're bringing in a 17-year-old out of nowhere, an 18-year-old in Jalen Duran. And as I said, to st- when, when they committed, I said, this is going to cause chemistry problems. You got too many guys. You have a bunch of guys that have been on campus all summer. Now you're bringing in two five-stars in the middle of August. So listen, I could go on and on. You guys know where I stand on Penny Hardaway. I actually don't think he's a terrible coach. What I don't think he understands is roster management. I don't think he understands that you can't bring in two five-stars. And the thing that Penny Hardaway has going against him, he doesn't understand that you can't just blame everybody else. I mean, listen, I talk about this stuff all the time. But Calipari, last year, end of the season, they go 9-16. and What does Calipari say? It starts with me. I got to figure it out. I got to be better. I need to find the answers. I hope you got us this year because you ain't getting us next year. Chris Mack. I did a whole segment about Chris Mack being on the hot seat on Sunday. But you know what he said Saturday? He said, I don't know what to expect from these guys, and it's my job to figure it out. Go on and on down the list. Kirby Smart, when he's winning, it's the players. I, 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 you know, the players are the reason that I'm winning. Give them credit. Don't give me credit. Nick Saban, I didn't, like, at some point, Penny Hardaway, it has to fall on you. And so I don't mean to belabor the point, but Penny Hardaway, at some point, it has to fall on you. It's not everybody else's fault. It's not the player's fault. It's not the media's fault. It's not the assistant coach's fault. At some point, it simply has to fall on you, Penny Hardaway. And maybe it's today and maybe it's not. But what I will say is we are now at a point here in mid to late January where if Memphis doesn't win the AAC, they are not making the NCAA tournament. Finally, let's wrap with the weekend that was that that is in college basketball. And what I would say is this, is that, you know, this is another one, and I talked about it last week, is that, you know, college basketball, I think, is very smart and very tactical at this time of year where they put a ton of big games on during the week, right? So we had Alabama LSU, we had Kentucky A&M, we had Duke Florida State, we had, I, I can't even remember, North Carolina, well, whoever. We have a bunch of really good games on during the week. But then as the weekends come where we have these NFL playoffs, the NFL kind of backs up, or the NBA, college basketball kind of backs up, right? They say, look, We know we can't compete with the NFL, especially on wildcard weekend and divisional weekend when they're playing games all day. So we're not going to put a ton of games on Saturday and Sunday because we don't want to compete with the NFL because we know we'll get squashed just like everything gets squashed by the NFL. And so it's not a huge weekend in college basketball. I would say next weekend is going to be a mega weekend in college basketball because we have the Big 12 SEC Challenge, which includes Kansas, Kentucky, which includes Texas go Texas hosting Tennessee, which is, of course, ho- coached by Rick Barnes. We have Baylor, Alabama. We have a bunch of really good matchups, West Virginia, Arkansas. And so I bring it up because there aren't a ton of really, really, really good matchups this weekend, but there is one really big one. 
and shout out to CBS because I don't know if they planned it this way, but it, you know, there's a small window early in the morning before the NFL starts where they can put on a game, and boy, oh boy, did they pick a doozy as Saturday at what time? 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central. We have number 12 Kentucky going to number two Auburn and what is unquestionably the biggest game of the weekend and I would argue one of the biggest games in terms of importance of the entire season. What's at stake for both teams? Well, for Kentucky, this is it. This is the opportunity. Forget the Shaden Sharp stuff, everything I just talked about. This is their opportunity to prove to college basketball, hey, we're back, we're awesome, we're a national championship contender. I've been saying it on this show for weeks. I believe that they're right there. You can explain away all their losses. They lose to Duke on opening night. They lose to Notre Dame in their first road game. They lose to LSU in a game where their two best guards, Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler, go out with injury. But a lot of people still are kind of under the impression, Torres, you guys in the media, you always overrate Kentucky. They're not very good. Get over yourself. They're not that good. Blah, 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 blah. I bring it up to say, Kentucky, this is your shot. This is your chance on the road against a great team to prove that you belong and that you are as good as anybody in college basketball. And then I think for Auburn, it's kind of ironically the opposite. I think everybody understands Auburn's a really good basketball team. Beat LSU at home, beat Alabama on the road, have some good wins in the out-of-conference that I already talked about. They beat Loyola. They they you know they squashed Syracuse, which is not a very good team this year, but they still squashed them. They took care of a good Murray. Like they, they're a good basketball team, and I don't think anybody's questioning Auburn. But you win this game against Kentucky at home, it's going to be hard to argue that you shouldn't be the number one team in the country this year. So that's what's at stake. And what I'll tell you that I think is really interesting about this game is a couple things is uh, I think how the game plays out. Because if you think about Kentucky, this is what I think is important for Kentucky to win this game. If you think about Kentucky, go back to opening night, Champions Classic. Do you remember what I talked about? UConn lost to Duke, and what did I say? I said, look, I love Kentucky. I don't think they're a bad team because they lost to Duke. But I do think they have one piece of kryptonite that is, they're going to struggle with all year. I do believe they will struggle with teams that have a bunch of length, specifically in the paint. And I went through and I said, everybody's freaking out. Kentucky lost to Duke, but they're not going to face very many teams with the length of Duke in the paint. And what I said was, the one that could give them problems in the SEC is Auburn, and that's what's going to be fascinating. Oscar Shibway, how does he handle Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith down low? Walker Kessler, one of the best defensive big guys in college basketball. Uh, Jabari Smith, of course, a second team Torres Media All-American, don't forget about that. Uh, Jabari Smith plays more on the perimeter, but when I look at this matchup, how does Kentucky handle the inside presence of Auburn, which has the best front court in college basketball, and I know that because Bruce Pearl said it on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast in the summer. And then for Auburn, I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle Kentucky's guards. I like Auburn. Um, My criticism, if such a thing exists, has been, Do they have guards that can take over games that matter? We know how good the guys are down low, but do they have guards that can take over games down low, take over games overall? Um, And for the most part, they've been able to. You know, Wendell Green Jr. had 20-something points against Alabama in the biggest game that he has played in his career. 19 points, excuse me, against Alabama. He scored double figures in like six or seven straight games. You know, but this is the game where like if you do it against Kentucky, if you do it against Ty Ty Washington, who's a future first-round pick, if you do it against Severe Wheeler, uh, who's been in the SEC for three years now, been a very productive guard, if you do it against Kellen Grady, that means something. Wendell Green's a transfer from Eastern Kentucky. And so I bring it up to say this is Auburn's opportunity to kind of show as well that their guards are good enough to win a national championship. Like I said, they're big, they're athletic, they're tough, they're physical around the basket, but do they have enough guard play to win six straight games in March when it matters most? And so to me, that's what stands out about this game. That's what I'm excited about about this game, and that's what it's going to come down to. How does Kentucky handle the size and athleticism and length of Auburn down in the paint? How does Auburn handle Kentucky's guards, and can they do enough to get the win? Outside of that, not really, by the way, in terms of a prediction, listen, I I mean, I think Kentucky's a really good team. I actually kind of see the scenario where they could win, but what I would also say is it is going to be really, really hard to go into Auburn Arena, one of the toughest places in such a big game, to get a win. If I had to guess, I would lean 
Auburn gets a slight win. But I'm telling you, I really do like this Kentucky team. I really do think they're really good. And by the way, if they lose this game, it is not reflective of them being bad at all. With that said, I think it's time to get out of here. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure to subscribe to the Aerator Sports Podcast. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrin Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. That's all for today's show. I'll be back on Monday, party people. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.